Turning onto Third Avenue, the big black Mercedes screeched to a violent halt inches from my knees as I crossed the street. And instantly the driver stuck his head out of the car window and screamed, Go to hell! I was so stunned by this sudden and dramatic interruption on my way to church, I stood in the road in the middle of the grill like a deer in headlights. He yelled some more choice phrases as his window floated up and the car swerved around me and roared on its way. Evidently, the driver thought he owned the intersection. I won't report what I thought to say to him five minutes after the shock of the near miss began to dissipate. I remembered he had been holding a phone in his right hand. The windows were smoked glass. He had dark hair, a trim mustache. Interestingly, Interesting how clearly my memory had hung on to so many details. Adrenaline will do that, I guess. The fight-or-flight response. Has anyone ever told you to go to hell with great anger and seriousness, like they meant it? What did it mean to you What it feels like to me is that the person issuing the invitation wants me in the worst possible place, under the meanest of circumstances, where I would be at my greatest disadvantage, where I am the most isolated and unsupported, where I have the least chance of surviving. This is one way of looking at what hell means. And I'm thinking this is exactly what was happening to Jesus on the day that started the last week of his life. If ever a person rode through the gates of hell, it was Jesus as he rode into the gates of Jerusalem on the first day of the last week of his life. And the interesting and insidious thing about it was that it was also beautifully disguised as hell usually is. Jerusalem, the beautiful cosmopolitan city of David, the site of the great temple. The people initially shouted words of praise as Jesus made his way through the portal, but that didn't last. In just a few days, even his supposed friends fled from his side as the Romans administered their justice, so-called the people having largely found their inner nasty. We see this reprised in our generation time after time after time after time. It doesn't really take much to scrape away the petty veneers and the pretty veneers of our various personas we present to the world. It takes but a nanosecond to release the inner beast or coward That's on full display as Jesus crossed hell's border, otherwise known as Jerusalem. In another gospel account, hanging from the crossbeam to which he had been nailed, he was overheard to exclaim, 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here in Jerusalem, of all places, the hell of a city. And here is the heart of my conversion. One day, in my early adulthood, I found myself accompanying Jesus on this journey through the gates of hell, smack into the stunning paradox of the utter humiliation and failure of God's chosen vessel, the consummate vulnerability at the heart of the definition of divine love, the complete self-emptying. This story we just heard converted me. You know, my family went to church when I was growing up. I knew the churchy routine, but it wasn't until some time later, while in college, I suppose, reading and thinking on my own time, something clicked, and this narrative account of Jesus blew me over. I was never much of a churchman, per se. That is, I didn't come to this profession by way of a natural progression. No one thought I would have wound up doing this, least of all me. It certainly shocked Melissa, I can tell you. (laughs) But somehow this story broke through my guard, and here I am. I so wish I could tell you how this happened. I guess you could say that one day it it hit me as simply and utterly and profoundly true. That is not so much any specific fact of the story, but more the cosmic sweep of the whole account, its brutality and beauty, its depravity and transcending dignity, its supremely accurate portrayal of our human situation. By God, I saw my own biography scattered throughout in the lives of the cowardly and conflicted disciples, the corrupt politicians and religious leaders, not to mention the common people, ready to praise a man one day and off with his head the next. I saw myself on those pages. In Revelation, the last book of the Bible, Jerusalem is presented as the holy city of heaven. In today's story, it serves as the gateway to hell. And how accurate does that paradox seem? I tell you, the same paradox exists right here in New York City and in every last one of us. And every moment of every day, we're playing out the dynamic between the two spheres. This incredible story caught me up short because it told me about myself in a thoroughly honest way. That I had a capacity for both good and evil, virtue and vice, integrity and corruption, self-giving love and narcissistic, arrogant egoism. I saw it clearly and thoroughly. I saw myself as I was. Has that ever happened to you?
You know, it's not lost to me that when walking the streets of New York City, it's the drivers who stoke my fury. But when I'm driving, it's the stupid, self-absorbed pedestrians <laughs> who prompt my rage. And in both cases, I know that I am fully justified. <laughs> if cars could blush, mine would be a bright pink, given the epithets that have filled the interior from time to time, when I haven't been up to date with my contemplative practice. Only once in memory, though, did I actually scream something out the window, and that was 30 years ago now. The guy who nearly ran me down was clearly a more experienced go-to-hell kind of guy. That was, his, that was his lingua franca. After Jesus has died, an officer of the, of the Roman army, a, a centurion, we're told, was said to have exclaimed, Certainly this man was innocent! Which, from one vantage point, was a judgment about Roman justice. But that's how it is in hell. The innocent are regularly victimized, aren't they? And justice so-called is turned on its head, manipulated to serve the powerful. Certainly Jesus was innocent. But I am not. And if I may be so bold, neither are you. All of us together hearing this story have a mirror held up that we might see ourselves as we are and we might see God for who God is as well, a God willing to so identify with our perplexity, our fickle commitment to the better angels of our nature that he goes the distance in love for us and in the process models God's way in the world. This is the mind of Christ that Paul urges his friends to adopt. You heard Brian read about that. Have this mind among yourselves. A radical commitment to love that is fully expressed in vulnerable acceptance of our actual situation. Elsewhere, Paul will exclaim, when I am weak, then I am strong, which at first blush sounds like so much nonsense, but the point being that Christ's great triumph was born from abject vulnerability. It was in that weak condition that God was able to accomplish the great triumph we'll celebrate next week. So too for us, sharing in Christ's humility, we find ourselves stronger than we could ever have imagined. But this isn't the sort of strength that Donald Trump trumpets this is an altogether different sort. This is the strength to love fully, heartfully, not, not to preen and posture in the manner of Pontius Pilate and King Herod, tossing a victim back and forth between them to avoid the consequence of an unpopular political decision. As they might have reasoned, best to just put the poor sucker to death. That'll serve the most useful purpose. So Jesus died as a poor sucker, abandoned by nearly everyone. And yet, from the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, 
for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness is a facet of love. When Jesus gave his famous prayer to his friends, instructing them to say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, it would have been equally useful to insert, help us to love others as you have loved us. There is nothing more liberating than reveling in this astonishing love. No mistake. No weakness. No failure. Nothing can separate us from this cosmic love. Nothing. Period. Indeed, when we are weak, broken, suffering on our deathbed, then we are strong. That's astonishing, isn't it? This love is the only weapon that's capable of beating down the gates of hell. The only weapon. It wasn't obvious at the time, but that's what Jesus was doing when he rode into Jerusalem on the first day of the last week of his life. And here's the fantastic promise. When we share his mind, we participate in the same cosmic agenda. Imagine that. No, really, imagine 